respect is the biggest thing. Respect the channel, respect your audience. I think between the two of those, it's you can get so much out of your email marketing because then if you respect your audience, you respect subscribers, you will start leveraging personalization, being able to make sure you're sending relevant emails, sending them at the right time. So there's plenty of things that will always track back to that. But I'm a big process workflow optimizer. I will, it's like one of the, my favorite things to start diving into. It's like, how is this really going to work? How can we improve this? Can we, and it's not necessarily just efficiency and speed and doing more email. It's doing more email efficiently in a way that doesn't stress you out because email marketing is stressful. Like I, I fully understand how stressful email marketing is, but it doesn't have to be. And getting your workflow and process will help it be less stressful. Today in Inboxing, Jaina Mystery, Senior Manager of Email Marketing at Litmus. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. I'm your host, as always, Hillel Berg. Uh, tonight, we have a great guest, a friend, you know, that we've been, you know, email geeks for a long time together. You know, she's got an interesting history and we'll talk about it all. And uh, she's working now for uh, one of the titans of the industry in terms of Q&A and, um, and really a pioneer because who was doing that? You know, really there's been two companies doing this kind of uh, previews, but not going to talk about that too much. Um, but she works for Litmus. Uh, so shout out to Litmus. Everyone uses Litmus, I mean, except for the people on email and acid. Um, but uh, it's a great platform um, and they do a lot for the industry, um, especially Litmus Live is one of the first uh, email conferences for development. So big shout out for Litmus. And anyway, without further ado, please welcome Jaina Mystery. <laughs> welcome to, uh, to Inboxing. Thanks, I uh, really appreciate you coming out. Yeah, I hope it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be in different time zones. It is 7.30 p.m. here in Israel. And what time is it over in Arizona? It is 9.30 in the morning. So I'm just about starting my day and my work week. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, well, let's jump into it. With, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your background and then how did you end up in with a career in email marketing? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go way, way back. So I did a degree in computer science with the idea that I was either going to be a programmer or I was going to go into something in the consulting arm of IT, as you do. And um, I, I did go into consulting, into um, IT support initially, and I was there for a couple of years. And I did that just because back then, there wasn't really a notion or I wasn't given the notion that you could have a career in web design. And I had this kind of maybe an embarrassing fun fact, maybe it's a good fun fact, but I decided, I think when I was about 14, 15 years old, I wanted to learn more about computers. So I started learning about HTML and CSS and I created a series of fan sites for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel and Firefly and Stargate. I was a big nerd, but it was always, I was always under the impression that that was not a career. That was not something that I could make money from. Well, I made money from on the side through ad revenue on my website, but I didn't think it was a career. So I did consulting. And after that, I thought, okay, this isn't really what I wanted to do. I'll try to dive into kind of the programming stuff that I learned while I was at university. Try to do software programming. I sucked at it. I was not good at software development at all. Um, and I think that's when I thought, hey, let me see if I can make this web design career work. So I found a job as a web designer, uh, web design and development kind of crossover crossover sort of role. I think that was um, back in my 20s. 
And email just happened to be a part of that job. You were doing, I was doing uh, web design, I was doing web development, I was doing email marketing. Um, it was one of those pretty big cross-functional roles. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of email marketers. They probably start out in web design development and then they go straight from there into email. And that's exactly what happened to me. I I learned that I used to, I just loved doing email and I fell into it and I fell into it pretty hard because I learned that a lot of people out there were wanting people to do email. They needed email marketers. They need someone who had that skill set in design development in email marketing as well. So those three sort of kind of shuffled me into an area where I just ended up doing more and more email. I freelanced and then people were, I freelanced as a web designer or developer, but people would always just ask me, can you do email? Can you create this email for me? Can you build this email? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so naturally my progression was, okay, fine. If everyone wants to me to do email, I'll just carry on doing email and um, kind of led me to where I am. I've done email for e-commerce companies, for small retailers, big retailers, shopping channels, and now I'm here at Litmus. I've been at Litmus for, I think, nearly six years now. Um, and I started out as email marketing specialist. And slowly over the years, we've been able to grow the email team. Hopefully, we should get... We were at three people. We should be getting near three people again pretty soon. But um, yeah, it's been probably about 15 plus years in email um, in various specialities and roles. But um, yeah, fell into it. Like, I think 90% of email marketers. <laughs> yeah. So then, okay, so... Before we jump to the next questions, like, so career-wise, like, you know, so we're, you know, job to job, like, okay, like now you're working at Litmus, before that you were working, you freelanced? Yeah, I freelanced, I worked um, for other startup companies as well, where I was kind of coming in at the ground and trying to create their email program from the ground up. So I've always been, been in that role where I'm doing multiple things in email. So I think that now is actually the first time where I'm really being able to focus on strategy and analysis and really trying to drive an email program forward. And I've got people on my team who are able to specialize in the development and design side of things. So I don't have to necessarily keep up to date with that, um, which is good for me um, because I, while I, I think that area is so interesting, it's so hard to keep up with whenever there are changes and when those changes happen, what you've got to do and the impact in your email program. So it's, it's an area that I'm glad I don't necessarily have to be in the weeds in too much. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, like I, you know, I, I come from, you, you know this, you know, I came from a development side and I also have a computer science degree. Oh, nice. uh, thinking <laughs> that was going to be the, 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 the way I'd go uh, programming and stuff. But um, yeah, so what I was going to say is that I recently, I don't know, I stopped coding for the most part. You know, I almost never code, but I got a thing to, to code a bunch of templates now. And you're right. It changed, you know, things change. There's new stuff out there. And I turned to my friend Ann Tomlin, like, what the heck? I'm seeing 10 versions of my email on uh, <laughs> on Outlook. Um, so yeah, please help. And she was great. And obviously she yeah. she, you know, she said, Oh, you can't do that in, you know, these Outlook 365s or whatever we're, we're on nowadays. And uh yeah, if you're not on top of it, you just don't know about the new rules and, and new codes. And yeah, we got a comment. I don't know. Sometimes we get garbage comments. But, yeah. Oh, we got a fan though, uh, Kimberly. <laughs> Kimberly she, says, "Go, Jaina." She is a lovely uh, social media and content marketing specialist over at Litmus. She does a fantastic mm-hmm. job of capturing everything on Twitter. So, Kim and Kim is also—I want to shout out to Kim. She is the one who drives Litmus Weekly for us every single week at Litmus. We have a ah, weekly okay. newsletter. So she's finding those tweets. She's the one who's writing the tweets. She's the one who's writing everything on LinkedIn. She's the one who manages Litmus Weekly every single week, make sure that we have different hosts lined up. We've got a 
fun personality for that email program. So the kind of it's it's interesting because we have an email team, but then we also at Litmus leverage plenty of folks in our content marketing team, and Kim is one of them. So high five, Kim! You are doing an awesome job. Awesome. All right. What kind of things do you see in the inbox that make you kind of cringe? Cold emails. I get so many cold sales emails from a variety of different organizations. Um, But the ones that really make me cringe, there's a few. So (laughs) the ones that really make me cringe are the ones that include animated GIFs. Um, So they'll try and use an animated GIF in kind of a meme sort of way and try and make it make you laugh and have some sort of reaction and make it funny. But honestly, it comes across as really unprofessional for me. It just feels like a little childish. So if you're going to, if, if, if I receive a sales email, which has an animated gift, that's kind of an immediate delete for me. And the other ones that make me cringe is when there's been no, no research or background. They've done no lift of effort of any kind to understand who I really am, what my role is at my current organization. And do I genuinely need what they're trying to sell me? So many times I'll get emails and they'll say, Hey, I've done a lot of research. You wrote this blog post. And then they'll segue into something completely random that doesn't even tie into what I've been writing about. So it's those are the things that really make in my inbox that make me cringe. If that's though that's not to say that every single cold sales email is like that. There have been a few out there, very small handful of them that I see and I'm like, oh, that's actually making me one reply. And those are the ones who they've written something that is relevant to me. They've obviously done some research. They've either linked to my LinkedIn profile, they've seen what I've been posting on Twitter, or they've seen something that I've written for Litmus or I've been a part of, and they've really done their homework and they've understood my role. And then they've come to me with something really interesting. But those are the ones that really make me cringe. All right. That's like a really strong tip, though, for cold email marketers out there. Do your research, know who you're writing to, and just blast emails to. No. And with a marketing position. And it's it's especially to email marketers. You've got to understand email marketers and other marketers are getting so many of these emails every single day. So you've got to really make your email stand out and personalization, like just being able to do a little bit of personalization. That's not just knowing someone's name. That is really understanding who they are, their role and how what you're trying to sell them can really benefit their work life is where you're going to get success. Nice. Okay, why do you think email is such a great platform? I feel like this is a double-edged sword. So it's it's a it's an amazing platform because anyone can email. Like you can sign up for a free account, you can start emailing people, you can start collecting subscribers, whether you've got following on on a social media platform or whether you've got a website, you can start collecting those emails and start sending emails straight away. It's cheap. But that's sort of the negative side of it. Like anyone can start sending emails. So you can sort of, you don't have to be an expert. I don't say, I don't mean you have to be an expert in email, but you do have to have some sort of understanding of how marketing works to get the most out of email. So it's, it's a great platform because it's so accessible to anyone who really wants to reach an audience or build an audience, but to do it well, you have to be careful and cautious and you have to understand your audience. You've got to understand your goals. You've got to set goals to begin with. Um, to really build up. And also, I think that kind of ties back to the ROI of email. Email has, I think it's crazy, like a 35 to 1 or a 38 to 1 email ROI. And it's no other channel can do that. Um, And that's because you're reaching people in a space that everyone has an email address. So you're bound to reach someone and it's not that expensive to send email these days. So yeah, it's such an amazing platform because it's 
easy and accessible for everyone, but also that kind of can make it a not so great platform, which is why we have so much spam going around the world and cold sales emails that aren't very appreciative. So, um, yeah. yeah. Or even good companies that are going into the spam folder because... Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> All right. What do companies need to be doing to really get the most out of their email marketing efforts? This is going to be a long, might be a long answer. Um, this could be a long, long answer. And that's okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. Um, I think companies need to respect email as a, as a marketing channel. I think a lot of companies out there will just see email as another channel that they can use to bombard their audiences with. They won't respect the channel and they won't respect their audiences. So use it strategically. Use it in combination with your other channels. Think about how people are interacting with your brand from social to email to maybe even like stuff they're getting through their mailbox. They could be getting things from so many different areas. So like to get the most out of your email, you've got to understand where email sits with your marketing efforts. Is it to drive leads? Is it to drive sales? Is it to just generate uh, customer marketing and awareness and brand awareness? So really figure out what email is to your business. And it can be multiple things, but that's one thing to really understand. And then one thing that I'm really a big fan of is workflow and process. Email marketing is hard um, because there are so many different moving parts of email. There's design development, there's deployment, there's automations, there's personalization. And when you are starting to do really complex things with your email marketing, you need to have a really, really bulletproof workflow and process to understand who does what, when, and if it's all on you, you're a one-person team, it's even more important then to be able to understand what your process looks like so that you can easily replicate it and then scale your email marketing. And that's another thing to like get the most out of you, being able to scale it. And the only way you can scale it is having a process that is bulletproof and repeatable because a lot of what email is, is repeatable stuff. It's just you need to be able to have something in place to make it easily repeatable. And I, th- I think, I, I will go back, I think respect is the biggest thing. Respect the channel, respect your audience. I think between the two of those, it's you can get so much out of your email marketing because then if you respect your audience, you respect, respect subscribers, you will start leveraging personalization, being able to make sure you're sending relevant emails, sending them at the right time. So there's plenty of things that will always track back to that. But I'm a big process workflow optimizer. I will, it's like one of the, my favorite things to start diving into is like how is this really going to work how can we improve this can we and it's not necessarily just efficiency and speed and doing more email it's doing more email efficiently in a way that doesn't stress you out because email marketing is stressful like i i fully understand how stressful email marketing is but it doesn't have to be and getting your workflow and process will help it be less stressful as a senior email marketing manager to build that workflow and to have that skill set is gold. It is, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. So list building, like what? I mean, I guess the question is, how can companies build their list in a positive way? But yeah, I guess yeah, you just do it like that. First things first. Do not buy lists. I mean, I think I think it goes without saying. Well, I say it goes without saying, but I'm saying it. But the minute you purchase a list, unless you, well, I don't want to say unless, but you really have to know who is on that list. Uh, is there going to be alignment between that audience and your audience? But it's it's the wrong way to start out. Building your list is, well, I guess you could reposition it and say you're building your audience. So who aligns with your brand or company or organization or your goals? 
trying to try to find way uh, channels and areas where they will appear organically. So that might be your social media following. That might be a direct mail list that you have. Um, use that. And then also, we do this a lot at Litmus, but our um, eBooks and reports and webinars, we use those to help build our email list in a positive way. These are people who are signing up to register for a webinar or they want to download an ebook. We know that that's a positive signal that they have shown interest in us um, as a as a company and as for our content. So we subscribe them to our emails and they start getting our emails. But it's it's built in a way that okay, so we know you've already got an interest here. You can, we, you can subscribe to these emails or unsubscribe whenever you want. And also that unsubscribe is a very important part of building a list in a positive way because yes, you want to keep growing to your list, but you also want to make sure that you have an easy opt out for anyone who is just no longer interested. And again, that adds to that building in a positive way, giving people the option to opt down. Maybe even it's even opting down. And if you want to build and grow your overall audience, I think another important area is preferences. So allowing people to say, hey, I only want to receive an email from you once a week or once a month, or maybe it's every three months I want to receive an email from you. So give people that option in your preference center. Or maybe you have several different areas. Like at Litmus, we have a monthly newsletter, a weekly newsletter, we have reports, ebooks, events, webinars, all sorts of different things. So we've made it easy for folks to be able to self-select what they want to receive from us. So that just means that we're building a great audience and that audience is able to choose what they're exactly less interested in to be able to receive those emails. So it's kind of, there are so many different things you can do, but number one thing not to do is not to buy a list. That's kind of, uh, that is the be all and end all. I've, uh, I have worked at companies where one is a single company and um, purchasing a list was their way of growing their audience. But the, <laughs> the results of it kind of spoke for themselves. It was kind of massive amounts of bounces, massive amounts of uh, complaints and replies. But it was one of those situations where I didn't have any control over it. Um, I could say everything that I could say to say, no, this is not a good idea. But in the end, it was not my decision. And um, yeah, it didn't go so well. But hey, you, I live and learn from situations like that. Yeah, I'm saying like, because we have been with companies that did wrong, <laughs> that turned us yeah. into experts. Yeah, yes. we don't have to do yeah. that again. <laughs> and it's and I think for any email marketer who's out there who's in a situation where you feel like you have no control over what you're doing because you're being told to do certain things, you don't stress yourself out. Do as much as you can. Get as much evidence to back up why you sh- you think you should be doing wish you shouldn't be doing things a certain way. But ultimately, if the decision is above your head, then unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. But you've done everything you can and kind of pick out all the resources and articles out there that say when list building, when list purchasing is not a good idea. But yeah, don't stress yourself out too much because it's email marketing. It's not brain surgery. That's my favorite go-to tagline. It's a good one. All right. So speaking of list building, um, pop-ups are popular, but can also be annoying. So how can you build a pop-up that's not annoying? It's funny you bring this up because we're actually in the process of trying to figure out our pop-up strategy at Litmus. So trying to build our own list using pop-ups too. So this is something that I'm kind of been researching and reading a lot of like, what's the best way to do it? And um, I think one thing is is timing, um, timing an audience. So one of the things that I'm really focusing on is making sure that we're not serving pop-ups to people who we know are already on our list, who we know are already engaging with our emails. If the sole 
purpose of that pop-up is to drive subscribers. Um, I want to make sure that that is only getting served to people who are new to us, who are new visitors. So making sure that's one thing. And then the timing of the pop-up. So I don't want to drive someone to a web page from an email and then they almost, or they're on the web page browsing and they immediately get served with a pop-up. I mean, that's really, really poor experience on the website of things. So imagine you're trying to read a blog post and suddenly a pop-up just appears right there and then. So I'm really leaning towards exit intent pop-up. So as someone is kind of taking action that they've kind of done with the content that they're seeing, that's when is a good time to serve up that pop-up. So timing of that is something that we're kind of going to be playing around with. And then having fun with the language of the pop-ups. I mean, I'll say this first. I do not like the ones that have the pop-up and say, save 15% if you subscribe to emails. And then the no thanks where you close the pop-up is, oh, I don't want to save money. That's really, really kind of passive aggressive. And I'm not on board with being like serving up sort of passive aggressive. If it's kind of in tune and in line with your brand voice, maybe something funny, you can be a little bit cheeky there, but those passive aggressive ones just, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them, but make it clear, make it fun, make it easy. I think one of the things is if you're trying to get people to opt into your like subscribe to your emails, give them just one field to fill in their email address. Don't ask them to fill in your, their like name or anything else. Just give them that one one single opportunity where they can just, just fill in their email address, hit one button to subscribe and that's it. Make it really, really simple. But then if you rely on other data points further down the line to be able to deliver personalized content, think about other places you can get preferences from them from. Like if you need their first name or email address, maybe there's other content or other forms that are kind of progressive forms where you can slowly start building out that profile. Make sure you have it in the preference center and serve up the preference center often so they can update those sorts of things. But pop-ups and overlays work best, I think, when they're well-timed. If you can personalize them, if you can include some level of personalization on there, that would be really great too. And if they are targeted well to the right people. So make sure you're not targeting people who... I've already seen the pop-up and probably exited out of it or are part of your subscriber list already. All right. That's a lot of good stuff. How should companies treat contacts that don't engage? Mm. This is a big topic. <laughs> yeah, especially with uh, mail privacy protection, I guess, with the, uh, not knowing what engagement is. But I would say, firstly, try to identify uh, and understand what your organization calls an unengaged uh, contact. So for someone who is maybe sending out an email every single week, if someone doesn't engage with maybe four consecutive emails or over the course of two months, that could be someone who's unengaged. But for someone who, I don't know if you're a retailer of beds, for example, like how often are you going to buy a bed? Someone who's not very engaged there is probably going to be someone who um, maybe it's it's years between purchases for them. So think about that. But if you don't have contacts who aren't engaging with your emails, suppress them, segment them out. Think about engagement as it lines up with your life cycle for your whatever you're selling, whatever you're promoting. Really tie it back to that life cycle. And I wouldn't say necessarily delete them entirely, but I mean, if you've been running for 10 years and you're trying to email people who haven't engaged with your emails in over five years, those email addresses probably don't exist anymore. They're not going to deliver anything for you. So feel free to kind of delete them or suppress them. If you have, I guess it depends on if you have that, uh, have the budget to be able to keep those contacts. Because I know a lot of ESPs out there do charge based on how many contacts you have or how many contacts you're emailing. So that's another thing to consider is like how much, how much do you want to pay for these unengaged uh, folks if you're, if you're keeping on your database, if you're, if you're not generating any revenue for you and they haven't engaged in a very, very long amount of time. Like, but we, we have our own uh, re-engagement program at Litmus. So 
I think it's set up to be, I say I think, I should know this, but I'm, it's, I'm pretty sure it's like every 60 to 90 days, if someone hasn't engaged with the email, they go through a re-engagement program where we try and get them to open and interact with our emails and then click on them and say that, hey, they still want to receive emails from us. But we're pretty, I think, strict with it just because we understand the value of active emails. We understand the value that that has on your deliverability, making sure you hit the inbox. And it's not all about volume. And I think that's probably the hardest, what this question sort of, ties back to, I think for a lot of companies, having a massive list or a huge audience is where the win is, whereas really the win is in those conversion rates. It's having that really hyper-engaged audience where you can hit those conversion rates that you need to out of your email program. But if if they're not engaging, you should not be afraid to say goodbye to them. Email marketers who run high-volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. And that's why OnGage made sure it's easy to act on, optimize, and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hillberg.com OnGage and discover what OnGage can do for you. Yeah. And that's interesting, you know, like, I think we've all experienced this. I mean, like, if you're segmenting your audience and like, out of nowhere, like somebody who's not engaged with the brand at all, you know, is in that group, you know, makes a big purchase and like, holy cow, mm-hmm. he's not dead. Yeah. He's, there he is. All right. <laughs> all right. We're getting towards the end. Um, but um, yeah, can you give me like a top five for 2022? Yeah. And then maybe how does um, that differ from 2021? <laughs> I feel like it doesn't ever really differ from year to year. It's just kind of slightly know, tweaked, but it's um I think going back to basics is really important for email marketing. I think sometimes we get really caught up in all the new things that are happening and all the things that are changing in terms of technology and trying to really just keep up with it. But a lot of good email marketing is very basic. It's about crafting subject lines that work for your audience. It's about writing really well-written subject lines of preview text, thinking about that envelope header, that your sender name, your subject line, and your preview text. Really, really focus on those and making make sure that those are not just optimized for your audience, but optimized for your email clients as well. I mean, you know how subject lines can get concatenated oddly and be less than legible in your email inboxes. So that's one thing. Like, And going back to basics on copy development design i feel like going back to design and just just taking a step back sometimes can be a really big help and that's something that we've been trying to do a lot more of at lopness as well is we have beautiful email designs but then sometimes there are some campaigns where you just need it to be more actionable you need it to be maybe a bit more simplified so that's when you kind of think okay so then what can we do with this email design that can help it be more actionable and like we went back to using f pattern layout design so making sure everything is left aligned so that it's easy to read so it's easy to find the call to action button the headlines are very very legible and there's a subheadline and maybe there's even an image in there but it's it's just going back to those basics like and we still think about dark mode we still make sure we're optimized for that we still make sure we're optimized for all sorts of different mobile clients i mean every single mobile email client under the sun we try and do that but it's we get so ahead of ourselves, all this different technology that's available, so in it, like artificial intelligence and trying to implement that and all sorts of levels of personalization. And it's it can get really overwhelming. So I, I love the idea of like just taking a step back and thinking about the basics. That's one of them. Testing. So A-B testing, split testing, 
understanding your audience more, but do it with purpose. Make sure you're always, you've got a hypothesis, you've got a goal, you know what you want to get out of your testing and learning. It's not just, oh, let's test a subject line because I want to see if an emoji or using an emoji works. And and that's not what testing is about. Really think about like, what is your long-term goal when you want to test? What is the ultimate goal you want to get to? Is it driving click-throughs? Is it driving conversions? Is it just general engagement and improving the engagement of your audience? There are so many different things you can you can do to, you can test to get to those points, but really thinking about testing with purpose, I think is really, really important because it's that's the one thing with email. It's so easy to test. Like you can just set up a split send in your ESP within a click of a button. You're like, yeah, I'm testing. But unless you're testing and collecting the data, like looking at all of the data and doing it with purpose, then you're not going to get the kind of results that you would expect to get out of your testing. So that's another one. Um, three, I'm going to go back to workflow and process. We This year, we shifted to an agile marketing process within the email team. And it's been, I, w- I wouldn't say lifesaver, but maybe I do mean lifesaver. It has been, uh, it's changed the way we've approached what we do, how we do it, when we do it. It's um, helped the entire team have more ownership and responsibility of everything they're doing, which again helps me as the kind of, it helps me manage my time better because I know that they're able to get on with everything they need to do. I'm not having to kind of oversee and help them because we're a remote team. So it's not as if I can kind of knock on someone's door like, hey, how's that going? It's It's been a massive help for us because we're able to, I don't want to say, it feels like it's dangerous to say do more with less because I don't, that's not the intention of agile marketing. The intention of agile marketing is, um, shifting your mindset and approach to be more customer centric, and so that's the that's the biggest change that we've made for our email marketing. Thinking about thinking about every project that we're tackling from the customer perspective, but then that changes how your entire workflow is as well. So it's kind of a double approach. But I would say optimizing your workflow and process can be massive help for you. Mistakes are a learning opportunity. So I think the tip here is don't be afraid of mistakes. And like I said before, it's email marketing. It's not brain surgery. So you're not like you're not hurting people when you have a mistake, but learn from, make sure you learn from those mistakes. That's the most important thing. If you, if you make a mistake in your email, it's a spelling mistake and you make it again in the next email, I send you, you're not learning from it. You should be changing something that helps you learn from those mistakes, whatever those mistakes are. So that's another one. I think that was four. I'm trying to think of a fifth one, email marketing tips. I would say, I mean, this is go back, goes back to kind of the, my answer for the first question, but personalization and like and really understanding your audience. And that doesn't have to be massive amounts of kind of personalization that requires different tools and platforms and all sorts of things to help you accomplish it. But just even just looking at what someone's clicking on in your newsletter, what can you do around that? You can use that data to then power other parts of your emails. Like, oh, this person's got massive amounts of interest in email development work. Let's make sure that they get all of the email development content if you don't have access to all those different data points. But personalization, I think, is it's getting more and more important. But I think what's challenging for email marketers is probably how personalization works across different platforms. Because obviously, your audience is getting personalized content from email, web pages, even social media. And it's making sure that all of those pieces work together as well. But yeah, I think personalization is going to be is a huge topic for 2022. And if you're not already um, doing it, start thinking about ways of how you can implement personalization to your email program. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Just about email mistakes. Um, like one of my most successful LinkedIn posts had to do with an email mistake that I saw from the New York times because the way they corrected it was terrible. 
Like there's so it was just like what was going on in that room, you know? The guys like because they they sent that and then it was also sad news. It was Larry King died, and they sent the email with the wrong link. But and how do you know wow. that? Because you know, three minutes later came another thing. Larry Diglett, you know, like he died. Like it was just terrible. It was like yeah. the worst news that you could do about a guy dying, and then like just so just yeah, just stay calm. It's not brain surgery. Okay, yes. we make mistakes. We're all humans. <laughs> it's okay. They corrected. You know, Larry King died. Yeah. Same subject line thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, you've got to be able to understand when you need to send a correction. You need to adjust, you need to address that there has been a mistake because I'll raise my right, hand. Right. Like how many people been... are opening that on that first second? Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. How many people are opening it? How many people are actually in fact impacted? Mm-hmm. Is it a very, very big mistake that is stopping the goal of your email or stopping it actually perform? Mm-hmm. So there are so many things you can do, but it's all about staying calm and reacting uh, in a measured way. Yeah, 100%. It's like the Stay Calm t-shirts. Talk to uh, <laughs> yeah. Ann Tomlin about making an email loot. Stay calm and hit send. Yeah. Yeah, love that. <laughs> All right, so the flip side of that, what are the top you know, mistakes or pitfalls you know, that people are making? Um, I'll companies? go back to what I just said, but just uh, rushing with email and kind of trying to run too fast with what you're trying to do. Uh, we... In our email program, uh, we have a, I don't want to say a lengthy QA process, but our QA process is very, very involved. Um, And that's because we don't want our emails to go out with mistakes. So we'll do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. We, I mean, obviously we use Litmus as a platform to help us QA and proof all of our emails and reviews. But I think just taking the time with that process, and I think that is really important. And then Something that I always tell uh, Karen, our email marketing specialist, she's the one who usually hits send on a lot of our emails. And usually I say, hey, let's make sure this goes out at 11 a.m. Eastern, for example. But I will also caveat caveat that with, if it doesn't go out at 11 a.m. on the clock, that's fine. If you need to take extra time to make sure the segmentation is right or the list is right or the email is right, Mm -hmm. that is totally fine. So again, giving yourself time to breathe with email because once you hit send, that is it. Like there's no, you can't delete it. You can't bring it back. There's no way of uh, it returning sender. That's it with your email. So making sure you give yourself the time and the space you need for uh, QAing and sending is really, really important. And then bad personalization. Oh, there's been, there's been a few emails out. There was some bad personalization and I think, but that's it. I find that very understandable because personalization revolves so heavily around your data and Data is hard, especially when you've got so many different data points and you're trying to leverage all those different data points and trying to understand, okay, so which one is the is the priority here? Which one should we really be looking at? So making sure that you've got your fallbacks for your personalization. So if if something don't make sure if you're gonna have personalization, make sure you're you're using data points that you are comfortable with and that you are 100% happy with. And that means working with your like marketing ops team, your tech team or whoever it is, but making sure you're working with everyone involved to make sure that data is right. And always, always, always have a fallback. Like you never know. You may be checking through your list and say, yeah, everyone's got that exact thing that we've got them going for. And then someone out there will not fall into those very, very specific parameters and they'll have maybe a blank email. They'll have an email that doesn't make sense to them. So make sure you've got a fallback in place there. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I think there are so many different pitfalls in emails. I don't think I could (laughs) cover every single one of them, but just, I feel like just, I think email marketers sometimes forget to give themselves some time to be able to do the things that they need to do. And I understand that email is a very fast paced 
environment, but just giving yourself some breathing space and time and is can do a world of good. All right, breathe. <laughs> yeah. All right, so yeah, last summer, this was all the rage and I did a little episode with four friends, um, you know, and that's my most popular episode. Apple privacy change. Um, yeah. So my experience is, yeah, like everything jumped. Like now I get 50% open rates. Yay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of them aren't real. But you can still sort of track because it's up and down. So yep. is that how we should look at it? You know, but the question is, how did it change the job of an email marketer? I think we, email marketers, I don't, I don't think we made too much out of it. I think it just really brought up the fact that opens are not a KPI that any email marketer should be relying on, or they should not be measuring their email program on open rates. It's kind of, it's not the best, it's not at all the best metric. It's, it's been inaccurate for years. It's not just, I think male privacy protection has just elevated how inaccurate it genuinely is. But if you, I think it's just meant a lot of email marketers have to potentially dig down even further to understand the how well their email program is working. Because a lot of email marketers in the past have relied on open rates and click-through rates, click-to-open rates and subscribe rates, which are fine in terms of email metrics. But when you don't have open rate, it forces you to think about your email program a little bit harder. So that's that's one thing. But I'll say, looking at our open rates, yes, ours has definitely gone up as well over the over the course of the last like six to nine months. And that's because of mail privacy protection. And what we're doing is simply, what I'm doing is just, tracking what our current changes are. So our benchmark for open rate is slightly different now to what it was before and waiting for MPP to sort of level out to a point where it's reached saturation point. And that's the new benchmark for open rates. But we've never used open rate as like a as a key performance indicator for our email program. It's always like a, one of those nice to have metrics that kind of gives you a good indicator of maybe how well your subject line is doing, but um, we don't use it for that. But I will say it's made email marketers jobs a little harder in terms of understanding engagement. One thing, subscribers see an email open as a form of engagement. But if you've got MPP enabled, that's that information is somewhat hidden. Whereas email marketers think, oh, open rate is not a sign of engagement. So there's, I think that's where I see a bit of a change for email marketers. Email marketers really need to understand what engagement is from the subscriber's perspective, not from your perspective as an email marketer. So you've got to think about, okay, so if the, if we, don't have opened, what else does a an engaged subscriber do? And I'm thinking they may visit your website, they may visit your social channels, they're probably clicking through on emails, but they may not be, they may be opening and simply reading. So how do you use all of these other different metrics to understand what an engaged subscriber is so you can understand who your engaged audience is? But I think it's just forced email marketers to again re re reconsider the value of the open rate. Okay. All right, so let's get a little more fun. So what are your favorite brands in the inbox and why? I've got a few. Okay, so there was, um, there's a company called Earlywood. They're a US company. They they create wooden utensils, kitchen utensils. So spatulas, spoons, all sorts of different things. And I bought a gift for my husband last year. I think it was for, his, for Christmas, I think it was. Um, and it was a spatula set. And they're beautifully handmade wooden spatulas. They're a fantastic little set. Um, and then as soon as I bought it, I think maybe it was kind of a week or so afterwards, I got an email saying, hey, thanks for buying this. And then they talked me through how to look after the products. Like you should be doing this and like get this oil. And like, we, we don't want to like, we don't want your, your like, utensils to fall apart as soon as you've got them. So I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. It was, it was very informative, 
but they were still asking me to buy something at the end of it. But it felt like they were just trying to treat me as a person. They were trying to take, talk me into this product that was great. And then I got another email probably a week after that. So again, referencing the fact that I had bought this utensil pack and they were selling me on some other items. But the, the way that they were selling it to me was very organic. And it was very in a way that was in line with their brand. It was all about information. They were providing me with all the information up front and then answering the why at the bottom of the email, kind of really doing that. So I loved that series. It was kind of like a post, I want to say post-purchase uh, nurture series, I would say. And it was highly personalized based on exactly what I bought. So that was really nice. So Early Wood is one of those. Um, Canopy, they're a streaming service. And their emails aren't very sophisticated. I get an email every single Friday, but it's every single Friday at exactly the same time, telling me what's new on the platform, and what I might be interested in watching. And it's every single Friday. They have not missed a single beat. And it's probably an automated email, which is like, that's that's fair enough. But I will always look in my inbox for that email on Fridays because I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to watch this weekend? So that timing of having it be on Fridays is kind of perfect for me. It's probably perfect for a lot of people who are using that platform too. And like, okay, I can watch this this weekend or, or give me some inspiration. So I like, it's so simple and it's the effectiveness there is all down to the timing. So I love that one. YNAB or You Need a Budget. I am a massive fan of the platform. I love YNAB. I've been using it for, I don't know, probably like seven, seven, eight years now. I, I I cannot do budgeting without this application. What I love about them, like everything from their emails to their brand of voice in their application to their website, all of everything ties in so well together. It's such a, they make financing and budgeting fun. Like they make it sound fun. And that's, such a hard thing to do. I mean, budgeting and money is not exactly the most fun topic for anyone to really talk about. But with their illustrations, with their emails, they've got weekly emails, they make it really hyper engaging. They talk about their own customers, they talk about people who are behind it. So they give it a really good human face. That's like another one that I adore when I see those emails in my inbox. And then the last one is Mint Mobile. They're a, a mobile provider here in the US. Um, I use them for my own phone. My SIM card is a Mint Mobile phone. And they have really fun, cute branding. They've got like this fox who's a kind of brand uh, brand icon or kind of mascot or whatever it's called. Um, last, I think it was last year or the year before. I can't remember when it was, but I referred a friend to Mint Mobile. And as soon as you refer a friend, you get all of the information like, okay, so your friend has done this so far. You'll get your points this time. Or like it gives you a really good breakdown of exactly what to expect and when to expect it. And then like, it throws a lot of fun uh, copy your way as well. It's it's You'd think that using cartoon animated characters would seem a little childish, but I buy it. I mean, I love it. And it's really fun. And the referral program is referral program is great. The way they speak to you throughout the entire process, even all the way up to when that person has eventually signed up for a plan, like, hey, you've got your like you've got your referral fee now here, this right in your account. This is how you can use it. So um, really, really super fun and informative. And I wouldn't say like their emails are their emails are beautiful. They're they're well coded. I think they look great. They're not like the most beautiful I get beautiful emails I get in my inbox. But again, it's timing on those ones as well. Just like the sheer like pinpoint accuracy they have with the timing. It I get those emails before I even ex- before I've expected them, and they're already in my inbox. I'm like, oh, great, thanks. That's uh, good to know. This is what that's what I think. That's what good a lot of the the emails that I get in my inbox, the ones that I really like are the ones that are timed well. And that's, I think that's really, really hard to do in email marketing, like to be able to almost predict when your subscribers or your audience want to receive that email, you can get that right. 
you're you're doing a great job. All right, great, great answers. All right, so now, all right, your all-time favorite campaign and and or or, or campaigns. Um, um, we all have some. Um, I'm thinking of a litmus campaign myself. I'm wondering if you guys are still doing those kinds of experimental kind of stuff. Yeah, I like because actually one of my favorite campaigns that I've received was actually my the mint mobile referral one we should have spoke about, but. I really. No, I saw it referenced somewhere. Like, was it a blog post or something? Um, I think so. Yeah, I did submit it on one of our favorite emails of the month blog post. But I think one of (laughs) our favorite campaigns that we run at Litmus is our Halloween newsletters. So we lean into the Halloween theming pretty well for our October newsletters. We've been doing that, I think, every year for the past three years or so. And it's fun because we get to, it's a kind of a big cross team project. So we've got help from the content team in terms of the content and making sure the copy and everything is great. And then we really get to have fun with the email itself, whether that's through interactivity, whether that's kind of leveraging some cool new development techniques and even on the design side of things as well. So it's kind of, it's that fun project that we get to work on as a team. And it's it's memorable. And it, I will say that Sometimes these emails don't necessarily have the highest click-through rate or the highest conversion rates that we're used to seeing, but we get emails from customers and subscribers and they, they reply back to the email saying, hey, this is amazing. How did you do it? Or they reach out to us on social. And those are the kind of immeasurable metrics that make those campaigns worth all the time that we spend on them. So that was that was definitely one of them. And then I think uh, last year for April Fools, we did like a throwback version on Litmus Weekly. So we made it look like a GeoCities type web page with uh, scrolling marquees and really bad GIFs. And it was, again, that was a really fun one. It took us a while to kind of, I think we took us maybe planning it for two to three months. But again, it was the same thing. It didn't necessarily get the highest click-through rates out of all the Litmus Weeklies that we sent at that time. But people were talking about it on social. People were emailing back to us saying how fun they thought the email was. And to be able to do projects like that and be able to send things like that is is just amazing. And it's those are the ones that will always stand out to me. They don't necessarily have to be. Those are the ones I have fun working with my team on because we're all just brainstorming really just random mm-hmm. ideas and trying to figure out how they all stick together and like throwing them at a wall figuratively. But those are the times that we really get to let loose as email geeks and kind of think okay so like like this is like there's no limits on what we can do here what can we do and it's when we get to kind of just yeah go loose with it it's, it's always fun to do that all right yeah and uh, yeah if i can shout out litmus you know so i was thinking of this email i did probably maybe in 2015 with the five free tickets mm-hmm. and and the email was dynamically changing based on who won tickets like that was crazy I don't even know yes. how they pulled it off, but they know they did a blog post about it, and maybe I'll have to read up it. Again. Yes, we did. Um, yeah, we did. But, that was um, a that was a good. Are one. you guys that still a... doing crazy things like that? Is it still pushing the envelope over there? Like, is that we we are pushing the envelope, but I think we're probably doing it in a slightly more restrained way, just because we uh, kind of resources can tend to be a little bit tight, and um, we want to do it in a way that we know will have an impact. So it's kind of balancing out the amount of time that you spend on something with the return that it's going to give you, whether that's kind of like monetary return, but it's that's really important for me when I'm managing the team is um, I want us to be to be really really thoughtful about yes we want to push this boundary but what does that mean for us in the in the big in the grand scheme of things right, what's the and cost like exactly and sometimes like I said like some of these ones like Limitless Weekly when we did the April Fools one it did, did take us a long time to get to where we did with that one but the return was we got some great brand love about it and you can't like you can't kind right. of say no to something like that. But 
yeah, we we do still want to push boundaries. And hopefully in some this coming week's Litmus Weekly, we'll be doing some cool dynamic tweets um, in that one. So if you want to subscribe to that, please do. And you get to see it in your inbox. All right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your proudest email achievement or achievements? Oh, that's that's really hard, actually. Um, being... Okay, so being in, like asked and invited to speak and talk about email marketing on things like this on this podcast or on webinars and being asked my opinion and uh, thoughts on things, it's <laughs> that's mind blowing to me because I don't necessarily think of myself as like an expert in the area, but for people to respect and listen to my opinions and thoughts and uh, take that away to their teams and that's probably my my proudest email achievement is being so respected in such a amazing email community i wouldn't i think that's that, that's kind of the be all and end all it's uh i keep having to pinch myself my my husband will also say this it's like you know you're kind of a big deal and i was like i'm not though i'm just doing email i'm not and it's like but <laughs> like someone who he knows has like heard of litmus and has heard of me doing things and it's kind of yeah that's it still just blows my mind but i'm appreciative of every anyone and everyone out there who will tune into this and listen to me talk about email or a webinar or whatever it might be, but um, that's definitely my proudest, proudest email achievement. Okay. All right. And then the last one is, you know, what is your biggest email? Fashla, which I wrote as Hebrew, but I think it's actually comes from Arabic, which is Fashla, which means like failure or embarrassing moment. In Hebrew, we use it as slang for like embarrassing moment. But yeah, we've all had one or two. Or, or um, <laughs> there was an email that went out fairly recently and in Gmail, in the inbox view, the subject line and preview text was concatenated in a very embarrassing way. Thankfully, we, no one, I don't think anyone really noticed, but it was shared to me and I saw it. And I was thinking, oh, no, this is not. <laughs> but just think about the way how email analytics can get concatenated. And that'll give you a good idea of what this mistake oh, was. Oh, okay. That was, got it. All right. Yeah, you got to be careful using the word yeah. analytics in your subject line. Yes. Yeah, so that that was pretty pretty embarrassing. Um, but I mean, it's one of those mistakes that it, it happens. It happens to everyone. Like it happens. I feel like I don't think there's a single email marketer that those sorts of mistakes haven't happened to. An embarrassing one. I don't know. This is probably this is from when I sent my first email back when I was what twenty two, twenty three. I was really really nervous about it. Insanely nervous. I was hitting send on an email that was going out to kind of on 900,000 people and it was a big retail email and the sales attached to every single one of it. There was money that was kind of that needed to be driven off of it. And our then head of marketing decided it was really funny to tell me that the email had gone out with a mistake and some of the links weren't working. And he did this as a joke and he thought it was hilarious. And, and you were like crying. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I went to the bathroom and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get fired. This is it. I'm done with my job. And I was embarrassed that I let it get to me so much but because it was just email and it turned out to be a joke so it turned out even worse than that but yeah I was pretty embarrassed by just be, like letting that get to me so much but it was um yeah it was a cruel joke no one should ever play that joke don't ever tell yeah, email marketer as a joke that something went out with mistakes when it really didn't because yeah it'll get your heart rate rate going yeah for sure you, just, you got more love from uh from Megan Meg Bosch uh oh hey Megan uh, yeah, she's she's watching. Yeah, speaking of bad managers, you know, like if I did something wrong, you know, you're like, oh, you were so dead. I'd walk in the office, oh, you were so dead. What did I do? What happened? Oh, 
um, it skipped with 10 people. I, whatever, you know, just uh, so annoying. It, it got to me so much. Yeah. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. All right, so we've arrived at the, the final thing, uh, which is your own final thoughts. Like, you just, you know, you go off and say your own thing. Oh, wow. Say your um, piece. I'll say my piece. I don't know what my piece is. <laughs> Uh, my piece is that um, if you okay so I will say this something that's been on my mind for a while but a lot of the times I think email developers don't get their kudos uh, if you are an email developer you are doing amazing stuff I constantly are looking at the email code that Karen is creating and I'm like this is not the email code that I was used to developing way back when, when I used to be an email developer and do not underplay your time and effort that you spend in email development it is and the skill set that you have there i feel like email developers email designers it's a very very specific niche skill set that is very very hard to well it's easy to fall into it's hard to get be an expert at it it's hard to be really really good at it so do not underplay those skills know that everything that you do as an email developer or designer might you might not think it helps that bottom line but if you develop a crappy email or if you design an email that looks just very average that's not going to help your click-throughs and conversions you as a developer and you as a designer are doing exactly what you need to do to help drive those revenue numbers and just because it doesn't exactly tie back to like that html tag code that you put in there or that kind of alt tag you put on the email design all of those little things matter so email developers and designers you are doing fantastic work out there. Keep doing what you're doing and know that your work is worth it. That's a beautiful message. I'm very appreciated. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jane and Mystery, thank you for coming on Inboxing. Um, I hope you enjoyed your time here. Yeah, thank you for coming. Really appreciate you coming. And um, thanks to our sponsor, Engage. And if Litmus wants to get on the action, they're welcome to. Because as far as I know, there is no Litmus uh, podcast yet. There so is not yet, not yet. Brought to you by, thank this you. could be brought to you by Engage and Litmus. Um, yeah, let them know. Wow. Awesome, thanks for having uh, me. But really, yes, yeah, so that's our show for today. And again, thanks again to Litmus. I'm sorry, to Litmus for letting Jada come on. Uh, but thank you also to Engage. And if anyone's interested in checking out Engage, head to hilloberg.com slash Engage and you get 10% off for the first six months. Uh, have a good day, night, wherever you are.